0: Good afternoon, this is Crosstown Conversations. I'm your host, Christoph Mergerson, filling in for Gene Nathan. On today's program, statues and music. First statues, as the public debate continues over the possible removal of Confederate statues in New Orleans... One group is organizing a dialogue in the hopes of brokering a more civil discussion and resolution of the issue. That group is Hillel at Tulane University, and I'll be joined by their chief operating officer, Liza Sherman, who is organizing the event. Then music. New Orleans native and violinist Jenna Sherry, artistic director of the Berkwood Festival, talks with us about their event here in New Orleans later this May, and why chamber music is an important part of the city's culture and history. We'll close the hour with local singer-songwriter Sarah Quintana, whose latest album, Miss River, is influenced by local traditions, geography, and as you might have guessed, water. So, statues and music, controversy and chords, and it all starts right now on Crosstown Conversations. As always, if you have something something to share, our phone number is 504-260-9265. Before we get started with our first guest, Um, Liza Sherman this afternoon. I just wanted to give a pitch for a multimedia art uh, exhibition that I saw during the Jammin' on Julia event um, this Saturday. And if you missed that event, shame on you. It was a great uh, coming together of local art galleries, pubs, and restaurants to really um, promote what's going on in Julia Street. Um, This exhibition, What's Going On?, is a multimedia exhibit that uh, discusses the Black Lives Matter movement. There are installations, Um, There are paintings, there are various different works, and it's all going to be at the Boyd Satellite Gallery. It's actually there right now. Um, It's at 440 Julia Street in the Warehouse District. The hours are Tuesday through Saturday from 10.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. or by appointment, and if you want more information about that, um, you can go to 504-581-2440. Go ahead and give them a call if you have questions, but I thought it was a very poignant and thoughtful and well-done presentation of the... Um, of of the Black Lives Matter movement, which too often does not get um, very respectfully covered in media, if I do say so myself. So do we have Liza Sherman on the line? We do. We have Liza Sherman on the line. Liza, as I said, is the chief operating officer at Tulane Hillel, and Liza is organizing a panel discussion called Taking a Stand on Statues a panel on Confederate monuments in New Orleans that's going to take place on May the 17th at 7 p.m. Um, and it's going to be moderated by David Hammer, who's an investigative reporter with WWL Television. And the, the idea behind this, as I understand it, is to promote a more civil and productive conversation, hopefully resolution of this issue, which is very controversial here in the city. Have I got that right, Liza.
1: Kristoff, it's so good to hear your voice. Thank you so much for letting me come on your show.
2: No worries. You
1: have it right. Um, There's only one small thing I would throw in. Sure. Um, I am, you know, speaking on your show today, but it's actually a group of about nine um, advisory committee members that work with us on these big issue panels. So this is the fourth one we've done in about the space of a year um, and we have people you know um, from throughout the community that are working with us to put the programs together so we have representatives from GNO Inc., we have representatives from Tulane, from the Downtown Development District, um, from the Advocate from the Times-Picayune and several other organizations. So it's not just me putting it together but, um, but everything else is right on.
0: A whole coalition of organizations and yeah. participants. Let me ask you a question before we jump into the substance of the panel discussion itself. First of all, tell our listeners about Tulane Hillel because they may not be familiar with the organization and its purpose and talk a little bit about how Hillel got to be involved with this particular panel discussion.
1: Sure. Okay. Um, So a little bit of background on Tulane Hillel. Um, We are on the corner of Broadway and Buse, uptown, right adjacent to Tulane's campus. We are a Tulane affiliate, Um, so we are part of an international network of Hillels. Um, There are hundreds of them throughout the world. And we're the only one in New Orleans. Um, There is one in Baton Rouge that that services LSU. But um, basically we're all about building um, strong, engaged, active um, community here at Tulane, um, community, both of students who are Jewish, which about 30% of Tulane is comprised of Jewish students, mm-hmm. um, but then also people, you know, who are not Jewish but want to make a difference in the world. Um, so we really have a focus on what's called tikkun olam, uh, which could roughly be translated as, um, you know, being the difference that you want to see, making a difference in um you know, in the community that surrounds you. So we're all about building um strong, active, engaged uh, community of Jewish students here at Tulane, many of whom, of course, are not from New Orleans. Um, you know, so we do a number of programs uh, throughout the community, and all of our programs are student-driven. So I don't come up with any ideas. We have a program staff of four that um, works with students who are in the leadership program. That's sort of our flagship program. And basically it's students that come to us with ideas for things that they want to do throughout the city, Um and, you know, in the Tulane community, so we have everything from an open mic night to a community market that's free to vendors that takes place about 13 times a year. Um, we've done, like, bill days um, at Youth Run New Orleans and recirculating farms, um, urban farms and groups that are serving youth in New Orleans. So it's just basically, um, you know, everything that comes into students' heads really is what directs our programming here at Hillel, with somewhat the exception of the big issue. So the big issue is... Um, it's really um it's a student it's a it's a program that um we encourage students to come to clearly now it's May we do have some graduates that are still around mm-hmm. but um not a whole ton of undergrads. The big issue is really um is a brainchild of my boss um the Tulane rabbi Jonas Schiller and um the big issue is really all about you know building community with Hillel sort of as a convener a neutral convener um you know that's focused on that same concept of like being the change you want to see and talking right. about um, both talking about and then doing things. Um, about things, you know, issues that we see is really affecting our community. And so big issues will focus on, you know, it really issues of our time that we see as something that, you know, community needs to sort of coalesce around and have conversations on. Okay. So that's our involvement, if that if that makes sense. I know that was a little rambly and um, you know there there is correlation between what we do on a day to day basis with students and um, you know the big issue program as a whole. But um, but it, it is somewhat of a loose
0: correlation. Right. Actually, no, that gives our listeners the context they need to understand um, Hillel's involvement and what you're attempting to do uh, in coordination with these other organizations to discuss these issues. And I understand that last year there were three programs as part of this big issue series. One was on sexual assault in college campuses. One was on the impact of Airbnb and the sharing economy here in New Orleans. I know mm-hmm. from my friends in Austin, and that's a big issue there, and I'm totally. sure and it's, a, it's an issue here. And one on gentrification in New Orleans. So right. these panel discussions, these panel, this panel series, is really dealing with some impactful issues that are relevant to folks in New Orleans. And before I forget, I did say that the panel will take place on May 17th at 7 p.m., but I also want to give them the location, and correct me if I'm wrong, Liza, but I believe that's at the Mintz Center, at 912 um, 912 Broadway, is that correct?
1: It's at 912 Broadway. Um, We're going to have some free hors d'oeuvres. We have an in-house kosher farm-to-table restaurant that's really great. And um, so we're having just some food out, you know, for free at the beginning of the program, and then we have a cash bar. Um, And doors will open at 630, and then um, the panel will come on at 7 o'clock.
0: So let me throw this in the mix, and then I want to ask you a question related to this. And I know that many, many of us here in New Orleans have been following this issue with regards to the possible removal of Confederate statues. Just to remind our listeners, the four statues that we're talking about to kind of set the background for this panel, there's the statue of Robert E. Lee at what used to be Tivoli Circle that was erected in 1884. There's the statue of General P.T. Beauregard at the entrance to city park. That was erected in 1915, which incidentally, uh, I guess that would be almost 100 or exactly 100 years later in 2015, was graffitied with the slogan Black Lives Matter. So obviously uh, feelings run high on that one. Mm -hmm. Jefferson Davis statue is at the uh, Canal and Jeff Davis Parkway intersection that was erected in 1911. And the last one is the Liberty Monument which is next to the parking garage I believe at 1 Canal Place which was a monument to well which is a monument to celebrate an 1874 battle where a white supremacist militia defeated supporters of the local reconstruction government. Let me ask you this question Liza.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So obviously if someone who's African American and has a history involving ancestors who were unfortunately sold here in New Orleans mm-hmm. You know, clearly I have some very strong opinions about the display of Confederate statues here in the city. And there are obviously other people as well who see it a little differently. I see this as a very important part of their heritage that Mm -hmm. they would like to defend. What role do you believe that these dialogues can play in bringing together people like myself and maybe someone else who has a diametrically um, opposite opinion of these statues because these are these are very deep seated opinions totally. strong feelings and what role really can dialogue play in bringing about a resolution to this
1: Yeah I mean the idea is that we're coming together in a neutral place it's not in front of city council so you know Neither side is lobbying in front of decision-makers, um, you know, who are going to say yay or nay or lean one way or another. They're really coming together to hear, you know, where the other one is coming from. And, um, you know, I am, I am not an expert on this. This is not something that I know a whole lot about, but um, – We do have, you know, panelists that are coming on the panel. One in particular that said a lot of, you know, how this process went down is, you know, to some degree what's led to a lot to a lot of the conflict and just, you know, really, really, really heated conversations, um, angry, angry conversations. You know, there there wasn't ever a time when the when the sides came together and had kind of a a back and forth. And I, you know, I'm right there with you. This is. you know, something and I've gotten some calls from the public that people say, Why am I gonna come? you know, I'm not gonna change my mind right. And it's more just about I mean, the people are your neighbors, you know, it's it's about understanding where they're coming from, you know, whatever side you're on and trying to be able to respect that and talk about it, which is something, you know, that has been lost in a lot of ways in discourse in America today. So not that, you know, Halal is gonna make the sea change but mm-hmm. um the idea is to get people, you know, who otherwise would not even talk to each other. Um, you know, their views are just so different in the same room to and one of the questions actually focuses around, you know, is there justification for the feelings of the other side? Uh, so right. um I just I think that those are really important things to touch on.
0: And I'll give a quick shout out to of the panelists um who are confirmed. UNO Professor Molly Mitchell, Professor Cody Roberts of LSU. Quest more of Take Him Down and claim Professor Rick Marksbury are the confirmed panelists so far. And, and, and just to wrap it up, Liza, that's really why when I heard about this, when we talked about this big issue series and on this particular subject, I wanted to have you on because of the emphasis of trying to discuss and reach resolution on issues in a civil and respectful dialogue, in a civil, respectful way. That's obviously something that in our current day of age seems to be at a premium with, the, with a lot of the noise that's going on with the presidential campaign. I mm-hmm. think President Obama actually a couple days ago in one of his commencement speeches made a point of, of mentioning that it's not enough to just be angry, it's not enough just to be passionate, that you have to learn how to work within the system that currently exists and try to work with people right. who may not agree with you to try and find a solution that everyone can live with. So is there anything else you would like to mention about this great event?
1: I would like to just say one more thing. We did actually end up adding another panelist um yesterday, Pierre McGraw with the Monuments task force um, so we're we're at five panelists now. we're not adding anyone else. um David Hammer is moderating he's an investi- investigative reporter with w w l t v so so that's where we're at right now, and we we you know really really hope to get a great turnout from this for both sides. We're totally focused on making it a respectful and civil dialogue um you know that People might get upset, but it doesn't really get ugly.
0: And that last part, another reason why audience members... Um, should come out is because there's going to be a 20- to 30-minute Q&A to follow. So you're not yes, just going to sit sir. there and be lectured to. You're going to actually have a chance to participate in this dialogue. That's what we call it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's a key part of any big issue. We, we want um, you know audience feedback and opportunity to interact with the panelists and, and make their voices heard.
0: Liza, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Christoph. It's great to talk to you.
0: Absolutely. I'll see you soon.
1: Okay, see you soon. Bye-bye.
0: That was Liza Sherman, the Chief Operating Officer <laughs> of Tulane Hillel. Uh, t- Tulane Hillel, as part of a community uh, coalition, if you will, of organizations here in New Orleans that are going to host a dialogue on the issue of removing Confederate statues from New Orleans to try to reach a uh, resolution, hopefully, that everybody can live with in a more civil and productive manner. So we're going to post the details of that event real quick. It is going to be on May 17th at 7 p.m. at the Mint Center on the Tulane campus, 912 Broadway Street and if you have any questions about that um uh, you can go ahead and go to www.tulanehellel.org and you can um also check out later on today the crosstown conversation social media um because we're going to post that information on there too um at crosstownconvos c o n v o s for our twitter and crosstown jean nathan j e a n n e for our facebook page now shifting gears, we had a little talk about statues. Now it's time to talk about music. And sitting to my left is one of my favorite people in the world. One of the things I love is the uh, opportunity to talk to people who excel at what they do. And actually, before we do that, let's go ahead and do this. Um, sounds like Jazz I have a call online line to. Let's do this just really quick here if you don't mind. Hi, you're on WBOK. Who's this?
2: Yeah, man, this is Walter from Uptown. You uh, you advertised to call in and, and, and yeah. uh, if I had a question. Absolutely. But I wanted, my question was for Liza. Why didn't you answer me when she was still on the phone? So I had a question for. Her.
0: Well, go ahead and give us your question. I'd be happy to take it. See what we can do about it.
2: Well, the first of all, the question was who picked the panelists and and how did they get picked? And what was the criteria?
0: Okay, and what are your thoughts? Share your views with us. You have some strong feelings. Tell me what you think the criteria should be of people who are on the panel.
2: Um, Well, first of all, my first comment is that there was no public discussion when the majority of the citizens in the community at the time who were white put these statues up. So now that there's a majority black who want to take them down, there shouldn't be any discussion about it. If the majority say put them up, then the majority say put them down, then that's what it should be. So I don't understand why we're having this dialogue to hear anybody talk about Either way. Walter, majority, let me ask rules, you, majority
0: rules. Let me ask you a question, Walter. Speaking of that, you know there was a recent poll that was done that showed that something on the order of 75% of Louisiana residents actually oppose removing the Confederate monuments. So, do you think that consideration should be just strictly on what the majority says, or do you think some other things should come into it?
2: Majority of New Orleans. Louisiana didn't put them up. New Orleans put them up. So I, so I reject that comparison
0: all right walter thank you very much for your call and obviously there's some very strong feelings going around on yeah, this n- issue next
2: time you take calls man I take my call i don't have me a whole forever with behind that
0: well sometimes as you know walter live radio is very tricky But we thank you for calling in so um one of the things i would say to walter or anyone else that has feelings about that is to be sure to go out to that dialogue event on may 17th where you can pose these questions um to the panelist members um It's not always perfect we may not like always how things come together but if we have a chance to participate then that's an opportunity for us to go ahead and do that so now switching gears again going to the discussion about music and as I was saying that the person who is sitting to my left is easily one of my favorite people in the world because I really like being in the presence of people who care very much about what they're doing and um this person that I'm Telling you about jazz. Do we, um, can we cut the, cut the phone in the background there? Getting that over my ears. There we go. Thank you so much. You know, Jenna, the, the fates are not going to keep you off the air today. We're going to get this, 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 uh, interview in here. Um, let me just go ahead and get right to the, to the, um, the point here. Jenna Sherry is a new Orleans local. She is a London based violinist and she is also the artistic director of the birdfoot festival. And she is back in town. Because the Birdford Festival is about to have its fifth anniversary festival coming up from May the 23rd through the 28th at various venues around town, including Cafe Istanbul, the Jazz and Heritage Center, the Contemporary Arts Center, and People's Health New Orleans Jazz Market. So, And also, too, there are other events, which we'll talk about as well, other than the ones that we um, just throughout there, but I understand that there's a hotel announcement. There's a special announcement that we need to make without any further ado. Um, do you want to give that announcement?
3: Sure. Well, first, I'm just going to say a huge thank you for having me on the show, Chris. Um, it's so good to be home, and it's such a pleasure to talk to you because you're probably up there among my favorite people. Oh, wow. <laughs> <But> <laughs> That's what we all say. But, but um, it's really a pleasure to be here, and I want to give a huge thank you to Ace Hotel who has just agreed um, this morning to host all of our artists who are coming in from all over the world. And we are so excited to be partnering with them, so excited about their sponsorship, and even more exciting that we'll be putting on a happy hour concert at the Ace Hotel on Monday, May 23rd. So you can come and we'll open the week there.
0: Happy Hour Concert at a Hotel. Wow, I'll just twist my arm for that one. I love that idea. The Ace Hotel is at 600 Carondelet, by the way, at the corner of Carondelet and Lafayette in the Warehouse District. So big ups to them. You can go to at AceHotel on Twitter if you would like to learn more about them. But um, I know that um, their support is very much appreciated. And for full disclosure, I also do some work with the Birdfoot Festival and marketing. So this is obviously something that's very near and dear to me. Without further ado, though, Jenna, what is the Birdfoot Festival? Oh, what that's is this a... thing I keep hearing about, the Birdfoot <laughs> Festival?
3: So the Birdfoot Festival is uh, New Orleans' only um, international chamber music festival. And what's chamber music, you say? Well, it's any um, music that is played by a small number of people. So, you know, think two to eight people. Um, usually in an intimate venue, and that's that's chamber music. And I think the thing I really love about chamber music is it was always, it was originally mostly written for people to sort of play for their own entertainment. So you know, think of this as sort of you know, the original classical jam session.
1: Nice, um, like that.
3: Yeah, yeah. And we really try and keep the spirit alive in Birdfoot Festival. It's very much Birdfoot is very much about bringing people and bringing community together around music. And um, and the, the you know sort of letting this music um, take us to the big things in life. You know why are we here? What makes us tick? Uh, you know, um, and exploring these things and having conversations and you know the, the the good stuff.
0: So who are some of the performers that are going to be at these events? I understand that there, in particular, are, is at least one person who's a New Orleans native, in addition to yourself, that we should hear about.
3: Yeah, we're really excited to be bringing um, soprano Jean-Michel Charbonnet, who grew up in New Orleans, went to NOCA, uh left to become a, a big international opera star. And uh, we're bringing her for the festival, and we're really excited. She's going to be singing, actually, on all three of our headline concerts and several of our other events, and she's just a, a wonderful musician and artist, and I'm really looking forward to working with her.
0: We also, if I understand correctly, have a Grammy Award-winning violinist. That would be uh, Karen Kim, I believe.
3: Yep, we we do, and and I, I have to say that every one of the artists who's coming is incredibly talented and has a real voice and personality and something to give, and the cool thing with Birdfoot is that when you come to our events, there's always an opportunity to stay after the show, after the concert, and get to know these people and meet them and have a drink with them and ask them your own questions. So we try and make it really personal.
0: Who's this Pratch guy I keep hearing about? I, keep, I hear that he's going to a <laughs> premiere an event. Tell, tell, we're, we're obviously having an inside joke here, but uh, tell us about this um, pianist Mr. Pratch, Boondiskolchuk, because he's actually going to be premiering at work, I understand, at the uh, festival?
3: That's correct. So so pr- the the incredibly talented Pratch, who, who Chris is teasing me because he happens to be my boyfriend, um no nepotism here though um he this guy he, is
0: quality believing when you hear him you'll you'll see
3: <laughs> uh he's an amazingly talented pianist, but he's also a composer and he took a f- several years off composing, but recently started last year started writing again and I heard a piano trio he wrote and just thought it was incredible, and so commissioned him to write a piece for the festival and he has come up with an incredible fifteen minute song cycle. Um, it was literally finished uh, a few days ago. Huh. So n- he he was even saying to me, "I'm so excited to hear what it what it sounds like." So he, so you know you'll you'll be hearing it uh, for the first time right along with him practically, and it's based on a, a sort of an a, 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 an old Chinese fable as retold by a, a British poet who just won the huge T. S. Eliot Poetry Prize and. And he, they start off from the, the proverb, the Chinese proverb, that it's more profitable to raise geese than daughters. <laughs> and uh, they go to town from there. So he, he calls it sort of a tragic comic, semi-operetta song cycle. Um, it, it's going to be really special. I'm really looking forward And is
0: that the gala concert that where that's going to be performed?
3: This will be premiered actually on Friday, May 27th at the CAC on the concert we're calling Ma Mere loi or
0: Mother Goose. 27th one, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So actually, building on that, Let's say I'm somebody who's never attended the Birdfoot Festival before. So, what can someone who attends one of the festival concerts expect in terms of the the atmosphere? Um, you know, what type of scene is it? What can I expect if I've never come to the Birdfoot Festival before?
3: Well, you can expect a great time, <laughs> special evening out, a great time. I, I think the thing I want to sort of you know put out there in the open, um, you know, as a musician myself, as a classical musician. Um, I sort of really know that especially people of my generation don't tend to sort of listen to or think they necessarily connect with so-called classical music, and I hate that term. I hate the word classical music because when we say it, you know people get images of sort of you know white wigs and dusty old sort of you know something stuck alive in, uh, stuck in the museum or stuffed or something and
0: 19th century clothes with the ruffles and things you, like that
3: You exactly exactly but you know the reason the reason I'm a musician the reason all of our artists who are coming are musicians and have devoted their life to playing this music is because this music is in fact so alive and even though it was written in some cases 100 years ago, in some cases yesterday, sometimes by people different than us, sometimes people quite similar to us, um, it connects our common humanity. So even a piece written 200 years ago, what, what I can find in it is Um, the things that made this person tick that I share, no matter how different they were, no matter what language they spoke. And I can relive these and find the the big life questions, open them up again through this music. And so it really, what we aim to do in performance is to bring the music off the page as if we were making it up on the spot. So when you come to our concerts, and I want you to come tell me if you feel this, but my hope is that you'll find that, it sounds like the music is being made up on the spot, and like there's a musical conversation happening. And we want the audience. Like the you're audience. freestyling is what you're saying. Exactly. So we try and learn it and get inside it like an actor, to the point that we feel like we are reliving it, and we want the audience to feel the same. So the goal, the birdfoot's goal from my is, is really to bring the audience as close to the experience of making music and being inside the music as possible.
0: Absolutely. You know, I was. Um, Looking on YouTube a couple of weeks ago, and I saw that Kendrick Lamar actually last year uh, collaborated with the National Symphony Orchestra, if I'm not mistaken. He did um, To Pimp a Butterfly." actually. He did that on, um, I don't know if it was the Kennedy Center, but I know he performed with them. So whether you're a fan of hip-hop, whether you're a fan of whatever genre of music, there is inspiration that you can find in chamber music and classical music in general.
3: Yeah, what what I always say to people is, is, you know, forget the terms, forget the names, forget the genres. I think New Orleans is such a, a great example of this because, you know, no one says, you say, oh, I'm going to see such and such tonight. No one says, oh, what kind of music is it? It's just, are they good? Yeah. And I want people yeah. to come because this is good music, not because it's a certain genre. So I really, you know, come see what you think, tell us what you think.
0: Let's step back a little bit from the discussion at Birdfoot Festival. You're a local. What school did you go to locally?
3: Well, um, I'm a little bit strange in that I, I, I didn't go to a school because by the, the, by, the, by the time I got really serious about music and was needing more time to practice, so I sort of, you know, did my studies at home, and uh, uh, so I'm a weirdo.
0: Well, <laughs>
3: <laughs> but you knew that.
0: Well, I was going to put your business on, <laughs> but, you know. Um, so what are some of your favorite memories in New Orleans? I know that you got a, um, a scholarship, actually, quite, or a fellowship, I should say. You got a quite prestigious, um, you were a Marshall Scholar. That's why you ended up going to the um, U.K., but in ter- before before all that happened, before you became Jenna Sherry, the musician, what were some of your favorite memories um, as a kid of New Orleans? Because I think that a lot of times our memories maybe influence um, our art or where we go in life.
3: Oh, man, where to start? That's so hard. It's always so nice to come home for that reason, but I would say one of the things that really influenced me is just you know New Orleans music culture. Um, going to hear shows, going to jazz fest, you know just running into some band, some parade on the street and I think for me you know going to see shows in, on Frenchman Street was really inspirational. I'd go and dance, um, that's one of my secret hobbies and because I sort of thought okay so here's this great atmosphere why doesn't the music I play have this? So when we started Birdfoot this is what I had in mind, can we bring this culture to classical music and make it this accessible, this much fun? this laid back
0: and why specifically did you decide to establish birdfoot here in new orleans out of all the places i mean you've been to a lot of places you performed in in uh... War. i mean tell me the cities you've played in london obviously that's where your base you've played in salzburg you've played in a lot of places throughout europe a lot of places throughout america why was it important for you specifically to establish this festival here in new orleans
3: uh... No one's ever asked me that. It just somehow seems so obvious. That's why we get paid
0: the big bucks. (laughs) Here in Cross-Town Conversations, WBOK 1230. I
3: I think really, you know, there's no place like home. When you're going to do something like this, when you're going to invest the time and energy in something you really care about, when when it comes time that you decide, okay, it's time to give back and share what I really care about, um, you know, you do it in the places you care about.
0: So I believe there's a piece that we have queued up here. Um, tell us about this piece. Was it the tango piece that we're going to hear? And tell us why we're going we're, we're gonna to hear it for a minute or so. Tell us why.
3: So I've brought a song that we'll be performing um, by the Argentine um, composer uh, Piazzola. And we're doing a whole concert called Tango Labyrinth, which is mixing Piazzola, tango music, music of Bach, uh, a crazy text by the poet uh, Jorge Luis Borges. And... Um, this is Piazzolla himself and his band performing this, so, uh, you know, big shoes to fill.
0: Here we go, let's hear about 30 seconds of this. Fue en Balvanera,
4: en una noche de jada, que alguien dejó caer el nombre
0: de un tal Jacinto Chiclana, algo se dijo también. Let me ask you this about that. That's beautiful. I could hear that pretty much the entire rest of this day. It's, it's so relaxing. Now, I know at this particular event, the Tango Labyrinth, there's going to be something called a milonga. What's a, what's a milonga?
3: So a milonga is a tango dance. So it's just what they call when a bunch of tango dancers get together and dance. And what we're doing is probably something... Uh, I don't know if it's any, ever been done in any classical music concert before. We're having the concert, and then the milonga is going to follow the concert in the same space in Café Istanbul, hosted by two fantastic local dancers. And you can find lots more information on our website. And we'll be doing our own uh, arrangement of the song you just heard, Jacinto Ciclana, on that concert, as well as a lot of other fantastic music.
0: Can you say that again?
3: Jacinto Chiclana.
0: just want to put that like as my new ringtone. It sounds awesome. So let's give the social media a share for the Birdfoot Festival. Um, at Birdfoot Fest is the, is the uh, Twitter handle. Birdfootfestival.org is the uh, website. And, of course, you can go to Birdfoot Festival to see that on Facebook. We have a couple more minutes here uh, with Jenna Sherry, and then we're going to, um, after that, we're going to speak with Sarah Quintana, who just showed up. Jenna, let's say I'm a donor. Or donor foundation, um, or let's just say I hit the Powerball, I would have you. But let's say, I, I, in, in all seriousness, let's say that I want to support the Birdfoot Festival. Uh, briefly tell us why some organization should do that.
3: Well, I think the sh- the sh- there's there's several answers to this question, and one of them is that um, I think you know anyone who's who lives in New Orleans, anyone who cares about music, anyone who cares about community. Um, can see how powerful music and the arts are for bringing communities together and getting people talking to, to to each other and, you know, really getting to know people and making connections. So I would say this is really at the core of what Birdfoot's about, is doing this with great music. Um, a second reason that someone might get really excited about what Birdfoot is doing is because... Uh, classical music actually has a really long heritage in New Orleans.
0: Right, we alluded to that earlier. We forget that.
3: We forget that today, but in fact, in the 1800s, it was pretty much uh, the musical center of the U.S. If something was a hit in Paris, guess where it would come? It would come to New Orleans. And And then, if it did well in New Orleans, it might go to New York. Take that. (laughs) (laughs) Now,
0: do I understand correctly? Now, Maybe I'm just um, misremembering this in the haze of Wikipedia, but wasn't the first opera in North America performed here in New Orleans? You bet.
3: You bet. So we have a long, we have a really long history of of this music, and it's very much part of our heritage. And it was actually one of the ingredients that was mixed with all of the other things, you know, the, the African traditions and the the other traditions from South America and the Caribbean that all came together in New Orleans to create jazz and create the music, you know, we call our own. So it's definitely a part of that mixing pot. And another reason people might get excited about the Birdfoot Festival is that what we're trying to do is not just to put on great concerts, which we are trying to do. We're trying to put on, you know, world-class concerts that could stand in any major city at the cutting edge of, of what's going on in this art form. But we're also trying to forge a future and answer the question, why is this music relevant today? Why should anyone care? What does it have to say? And um, and how do we communicate this?
0: Last couple of questions. These are extremely hard-hitting questions. I'm going to put you on the spot because that's what friends do. Um, <laughs> your mother played violin, is that correct? It is. On a scale of one, like, eh, you know, maybe not so much. On a scale of ten... Um, just, you know, the, the the sound of the angels. How would you rate her?
3: <laughs> oh, that's a cruel question, because my mother is and, one of my favorite people in the world. And across and the glass, my... i am
0: seeing some figures. I can't tell if that's thumbs down or if that's another figure.
3: Uh, and she's one of my favorite people in the world, and she's you know one of my partners in crime. She's managing director of the Birdfoot Festival, and uh, I feel so lucky to be working with her.
0: Shout out to Tracy she Sherry. She
3: and my father played when I was little, and they by the time I was young, they had stopped. She wasn't playing classical music anymore, although I heard she was good. But she was playing fiddle music, and... I have such such strong memories of that, and them playing fiddle music is definitely the reason I started playing violin.
0: Well, you know, I really should castigate them because you turned out terrible. You're a London-based violinist who's the artistic director (laughs) of this New Orleans festival, doing great things. Um, Before we um, let you go and say hello to Sarah here, um, I actually did um, want you to tell us about the event that's going to be at the Pan American Life Center because if someone has not gone to a Birdford Festival event, Um, or is not familiar with the type of music that you play, this might be a great opportunity for them to experience that.
3: Absolutely. So for anyone who works downtown or or doesn't, or um, we're going to be giving a free lunchtime concert at 1215 on Tuesday, May 24th, in the lobby of the Pan American Life Center. And we're really excited that Pan American Life is sponsoring this concert and very grateful to them for this. And uh, it'll be a sample of all the great things to come uh, during the Birdfoot Festival, and you can bring your lunch, bring a cup of coffee, come check it out, meet us, see what we're about. Uh, we look forward to seeing you there. And I also thought I should say a huge thank you to Sarah, who um, played for a huge party on Give Nola Day at the Birdfoot Festival and several other local organizations. Thank you for having me. That was so much fun. Thank Absolutely. you.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, and that's you know it, that's where we um, got to talking. So that's why Sarah is here today, and we're going to talk to her in just a second. But I just wanted to say real quick, and you should stay in the studio here because like there's a guitar and there's an extremely talented musician, and I think something's about to happen here. So you might want to.
3: Man, I ex- should have brought my instrument. I'm <laughs> telling you, man,
0: we gonna we should have had like a happy hour or something like that going on up in here. But um, that was Jenna Sherry. She is the artistic director of the Birdfoot Festival. The festival does run from the 23rd through the um, 28th of uh, this year coming up, uh, events at Cafe Istanbul, the Jazz and Heritage Center, the Contemporary Arts Center, People's Health New Orleans Jazz Market, and as you just heard, the Pan American Life Center. If I were you and I wanted to get more information, um, I surely do. I would go to birdfootfestival.org or jump on the Twitters at birdfootfest, F-E-S-T, and uh, I want to also say to Jenna, I was remiss at the beginning, you were a new auntie. So congratulations
5: on that. <laughs> thanks. I hope it
0: was okay to say that, because if not, it's going to an international oh, audience. yeah. Oh, there yeah. you go. <laughs> Thumbs up for Mob. Okay, so we're still alive and have a place to go at the end of the day. That's awesome. Jenna Sherry, thank you so much.
3: Oh, Thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to seeing all your listeners at our shows.
0: Thank you very much for that. And switching gears here, we have the talented singer-songwriter, Sarah Quintana, um, who, as you just mentioned, actually performed at that benefit for Birdfoot for Make Music Nola and a studio in the woods. She's here to talk about her latest record, Ms. River. How are you doing, Sarah?
6: I'm doing so fantastic. Thank you so much for having me, Christoph.
0: You're welcome. And who's this awesome gentleman that's in the back here um, oh, trying to avoid the, um, the snowballs we're throwing here? <laughs> Come on up to the mic and tell us who you are.
4: Uh, hi, my name is Andy Vaught. I'm the Artistic Director of the Cripple Creek Theater Company. Uh, we have an event this weekend that we're very fortunate to have Miss Quintana playing at, and we're very excited about that.
0: Sarah, tell us about that event.
6: Well, I'm going to be performing a set solo doing French music and pretty classy chansons francaise and ballads for the Cripple Creek's annual fundraiser. It's called Cripple Creek
4: Theatre Company, Port in a Storm. Come up closer to the mic. Say that one more time. Cripple Creek Theatre Company, Port in a Storm. Port in a Storm.
6: Cripple Creek is celebrating their 10-year anniversary, and they're really awesome because they make theater available to everybody. So this is a fundraiser to help them keep doing the amazing work that they do.
0: You know, you're very active, it seems, just from the brief amount of time that I've known you and being involved in these community-oriented events. Where does that spirit
6: come from? Not being able to say no (laughs) and loving my community and just really loving being a part of it. I'm from here. It's kind of part of being from here, I think, is an appreciation of, you know, alone, I can't really do anything, but together we make beautiful things happen.
0: You know, it's um, I'm obviously no music critic. Maybe I should have um, had John Swenson come in here as well. Um, but just as a guy, you know, who once worked at a music shop in Seattle in the 90s and love all different types of music. When I listen to your music, and we're gonna um, hear a sampling here um, shortly, it sounds like I hear elements of 20s and 30s American and French music. I hear elements of country like Lucinda Williams. Um, I hear traditional jazz. I hear even elements of, like, 90s French indie pop, like, you know, Bertrand, Bergelat in April, March. There's so much that that I hear just as a layperson going into your music. But I hate putting people in a box and saying they're this, they're that, because I think that artists, you know, we should have more respect for them and understand that, um, much like ourselves as people, they defy easy categorization. So my question for you is, how do you define your music?
6: It's a really good question. To me, music, like many things, is kind of a spiritual practice. Composing is something that allows me to express myself in the process and to take all of those influences and ideas and the mundane events of my day and make something beautiful out of them. So I'd express my style of music just like you would if you had any kind of practice like cooking where you go into the kitchen and you look and you see what's in the pantry and you decide you need to make something beautiful and delicious to eat with what you have. I was a traditional jazz vocalist for about five years. I studied at NOCA and I played guitar in high school and always had an affinity for guitar players like Wes Montgomery and Joe Pass and Pat Martino. That was kind of my fantasy. Um, And what happened was being a singer and being able to vocalize allowed me to get my foot in the door and start working with bands and learning how to make tunes, how to make records, how to tour. And I'm still learning so many things all the time with the great mentors and musicians and people that I get to collaborate with. So that's one of the reasons why collaboration is so important. Style-wise, I'm kind of one of the... People that um, comes onto a gig and says, what can I do to help? If you need me up front singing and, you know, being with the public, that's fine. But if you want me to just play rhythm, that's fine. And I think that's one reason why I'm able to make a living at what I do is being flexible.
1: Gotcha.
6: Personally, I like just writing tunes, and I love horns, and I'm really into country and honky-tonk, and I'm really into jazz, and improvisation is definitely where it's at. So a nice fusion of the two is Make, is making me happy.
0: See, I I spent some time in Austin. My um, immediate family is actually um, from Texas, so that's where I was picking up those um, those country elements. Um, but like like I said earlier, your music is so much more complex and rich than you know defies easy characterization. So before the hour gets away from us, um, it's shall shall we hear something? Or I would, would love you like that. to play something?
6: Yeah, let me just see how my guitar sounds in this room. Okay. I actually grew up not too far from here on Elysian Fields. Huh. Okay. And Gentilly is one of the natural ridges um, of our city. It's high, used to be a part of the Mississippi River. About a million years ago, the river curved her way over here and created that road, which became an animal path and then became a trade path, and now we live here. And this song was written about that, and it was written at a studio in the woods, and it's called An Apology to the Mississippi River.
0: That's awesome. Here we go. Here's Sarah Quintana.
5: Just breathe in You're just like me And you must be free
0: That was the enchanting, the unforgettable Sarah Quintana with that performance here live on Crosstown Conversations. Sarah, before we forget, how can we get a hold of Miss River? How can we obtain that album?
6: Y'all can go ahead and Google Miss River, Sarah Quintana, and you'll get some free music videos on YouTube and on my website. And on Vimeo, we've got some tunes of the band. Um, And then you can also check out CD Baby or iTunes. Those um, websites have Miss River. My first album is on Spotify, if that is your jam. And um, we are definitely looking forward to touring as a band on Miss River. So if you have a venue and you'd like to host us or even just me for a interview or a singer-songwriter shindig, please reach out, um, Sarah Quintana Music at gmail.com.
1: There
0: you go, Sarah Quintana Music at gmail.com. Man, it's not a bad gig, is it? Jenna Sherry is over there with a big smile on her face as well as she should be. Um, So let me go ahead and repeat, by the way, before I forget, the location of your upcoming um, next performance. And, uh, yeah, let's talk to Andy here just for a second here while we've got him here. Oh, thank you very much. Man, do you get to hear this type of music all the time? I
4: mean, this has been a nice media tour for the past two days with Sarah, so I've really enjoyed following in her musical wake and just sort of sitting beside her while she makes great things happen.
0: I mean, if you need a roadie, you can pay me in Jack Daniels. I mean, man, that's that's a real good deal. I can get
4: paid in Evan Williams, you know. I can go even lower.
0: See, I was... (laughs) Well, you know. Solidarity. So... uh, So May the fourteenth is that is that a Saturday? It's this Saturday. This Saturday at eight p.m. at Lighthouse Nola at seven thirty-four Camp Street in the Warehouse District, you will get to see Miss Sarah Quintana Quintana, um, for Port in a Storm. Um, Andy, tell us about tell us again. um, I know that you co-founded Cripple Creek. Theatre in 2006, and that you're uh, currently the artistic director.
4: Mm-hmm. So this is our 10th year of production, which is really exciting to hit a double-digit mile mark, especially in the nonprofit regional theatre world. Before
0: you go any further, I just want to say we've got milestoneage here—something terrible. We've got the fifth annual Birdfoot Festival coming up, and we've got you know the 10th anniversary of Cripple Creek.
4: Congratulations to you
3: and to you. Thank you very <laughs>
0: much.
4: There you go. Share, a sure. There you go. Um, so Cripple Creek Theatre Company views theatre as a public utility, like you view good roads, you view clean water, you view, you view electricity. And we want to make that as accessible and open to everybody as possible And so this fundraiser is going to help us make our summertime production of the Broadway classic Ragtime Ooh. Completely Ooh. open and available to the public So all proceeds from this thing go to help that thing so that anyone can come see it You got my attention because, no lie, the very first musical that I ever saw in my life was Ragtime Oh yeah, me too, I saw it and it's the only time I've ever seen anything in the Sanger It was uh, the touring production of Ragtime That's and so it was funny was beautiful it was beautiful. So at this event, we obviously have an extremely talented singer songwriter who will be playing by herself and with a band. We have food from Stein's. We have food from Kebab. We have uh, mead from Nola Brewery. We have <laughs> rum from Nola rum. We have bottles of wine. All of this stuff is included and it's all gratis if you buy your uh, ticket to come to see the show. Or to come see the fundraiser. It's at a beautiful old lighthouse. There will be an amateur theatrical that deals with sea monsters, sinkholes, and political corruption. And we hope everyone can come and join us because it should be a really fun night. In that order, huh? So you're going to go to
0: www.cripplecreektheater.org, and that's where you can also find some more um, information about that. Yes, Jenna. Can,
3: can I just give a, a shout out to Steins Deli, who is also a Birdfoot Festival sponsor. Steins Deli is one of my favorite places in New Orleans. Thank you, guys. For
4: such a cranky man, he's a real mensch.
0: Really. <laughs> <is>. <laughs> you know what we're at? it, We may as well give a shout out to Nola Bruin. I mean, for hosting um, the wonderful event where we last convened on May the third, and for making. Um, such a beautiful product that brings tears to my eyes, <laughs> especially when I don't drink enough water. But anyway, that aside, uh, Sarah, uh, I'm, I'm just interested in your biography here a little bit. It said that, yeah, give her the microphone back here just for a second. Uh, you are a member, it says, of Pan Theater. Tell us about that. Tell us what Pan Theater is and, what, and just tell us a little bit more about your involvement with that. Because like Jenna, you spent some time overseas. Yeah.
6: Andy and I were talking yesterday about this because I invited him and any of his friends from Cripple Creek who wanted to collaborate with me to come up and do an improvisation. And what Pan Theatre is, is it's a theater company founded by Linda Wise and Enrique Pardo. And they are an international couple. She's from London. He is from Spain or Chile, I think. Mm -hmm. And they um, were students of Roy Hart, who was a vocal theater in the 70s. Now, this is a really experimental vocal style that is a contemporary like of the link letter technique some of these people studied and worked together and this vocal technique developed after world war one as a way for people who were in the trenches to make sounds and express themselves to heal so alfred wolfson is roy hart's theater so i'm a part of this vocal technique that's got a serious lineage And Enrique and Linda have these amazing workshops where we study choreography, and I've done so many of them, and I now perform with them. And Linda teaches the art of interpretation, and it's just one of my very favorite creative communities. I go and meet up with these people, all of my friends who are artists and musicians and actresses and actors in different countries from Chile, New York to Paris, are starting their own independent theaters and kind of like... I am following the footsteps of Enrique and Linda with the work, the creative approach.
0: And you also did a residency at a studio in the woods, if I'm not mistaken.
6: Indeed I did.
0: Tell us about that.
6: Well, it was amazing, and I didn't want to (laughs) leave. And (laughs) now they've expanded the residency so they can host more artists, and they're doing some interdisciplinary cross-collaborations between Tulane professors and young artists. Um, The coolest part about being there is it's... Being in a natural environment is so amazing for the creative process. When you're around that much wildlife and they steward the forest so well, there's so many trees and alligator, there's just amazing orchids and things to see out there. There's just something that happens to you and I've never been that productive in my life and I know Dr. Michael White described his time there as being one of the most productive Uh, periods of his career as well. So if you are an artist of any discipline, check their website out and please apply. It's just so nice that we have a safe haven like that where art um, and being in your natural habitat uh, can go hand-in-hand. It's just really great.
0: Especially in the world where we're currently in now where we're surrounded by electronics all the time, our cell phones, our laptops, all this stuff. Sometimes it's hard for us to get out and um, to hear the rhythm of nature. Water is obviously a very important, um, very serious subject here in New Orleans. Um, It's obviously um, a great inspiration behind your album. When I saw you play at Nola Bruin, I have to ask you this question. I think we talked about this briefly earlier. But there was a gentleman that seemed to be sucking out of a tube in an aquarium of some sort. I didn't know if he was going to electrocute himself. (laughs) But I thought it was a very interesting form of percussion. What was that thing? Tell me about that again.
6: Brett Gardner is somebody who I met who makes instruments out of trash. Mm-hmm. I make music with water, and in my residency was invited to use water to compose, which is Miss River, my last album.
5: Right.
6: I just fell in love with Brett's playing and his crazy instruments, and I asked him if he wanted to come play water, and he's the, he's a genius. He will build anything out of anything, so I said, I got a gig for you, um, show up at this place, and have a water percussion set up, and he was... Very enthusiastic, and put together this rig where he he cannot electrocute himself because it's battery powered, but basically he was playing with mason jars, bowls, he made pickups out of Altoid containers and Mm -hmm. stuck them in a Tupperware, filled it with Mississippi River water and and had pots and pan lids to make boing, like tabla sounding percussion. In the mix, it all sounds kind of like music, which is one thing I love about water. It has all these rhythmic and harmonic properties. I mean, we play the washboard, and all of the sounds that you hear when you turn on the on the faucet right. are the things that you hear when you listen to a great Albert Eiler solo. It's blues, it's the pentatonic scale, it's natural harmonics. So the musicality of it is obvious, but visually it does look strange to see a kid blowing tubes in a trash container filled with water.
0: Real quick, we have just 30 seconds left. What's coming up next? What's next for you after the Miss River project here?
6: I'm working on two things. I'm working on a mantra record with a woman who makes devotional music. She's Christian and Buddhist fusion. So we're producing that for her, and I'm also inspired to get into the positive feedback loop of creating music. And I'm also working on a solo acoustic project. I'm going to write 1,001 songs (laughs)
0: That sounds like Sushant Stevens gone just absolutely insane. He's
6: my inspiration.
0: Sarah Quintana, thank you so much for joining us. Jenna, Sherry, thank you so much for joining us. Our thanks to Liza Sherman at Tulane Hillel. If you've missed any of the information about these wonderful artists and about that um, statue panel that's coming up, um, we're going to have that on our uh, Twitter site, which is at Convo, C-O-N-V-O-S, and on our Facebook page, which is Crosstown Gene Nathan. This is Crosstown Conversations. Thank you so much. This is Christoph Mergerson. Gene Nathan will join you next week. Have a good one we